So, hello everyone. Uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on my podcast. Uh, it's uh, Duos Within Emerging Markets, Time for Emerging Markets. And I'm honored and privileged uh, to have with, uh, with me today, the president of Babson College, Dr. Spinelli. And um, I'm really, really excited and I'm really humbled to have him here. So welcome President Spinelli. It's, uh, it's a thrill to be with you. I have gained energy and excitement from being around people who aspire to do something important and uh, your, your, uh, the work you're doing and the way you communicate and your enthusiasm for life and for building value is infectious and I enjoy you a great deal. Thank you so much. Thanks for the very kind words. And uh, and likewise, um, I you know definitely the four years I had at Babson and you coming in when I was uh, starting my master's of science and finance program, um, just your leadership and how you, you know navigated the COVID nineteen, which you we'll probably get into that as well, was remarkable. So uh, I learned a lot from you as well. So thank you so much. Thank uh, you for those very kind words. So we're both speak. great Babson guys. You know, I'm a Babson graduate too. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. we, we we got green running through our veins. <laughs> exactly, exactly, definitely, definitely. And, and just so, just to go along with that, I just wanted to learn a bit. Like, just tell everyone, like, uh, about yourself, like where you are from. You know how you came. You know, just like your childhood experience. What led you to Babson College and all that. What was it like growing up? Yeah, um, it's, sometimes I, I refer to my perspective on life as uh, sort of family, community, aspiration, and tension. And there's an interesting mix of all of that. The, the family was um, very tight-knit uh, Italian-American mm-hmm. family, very ethnically oriented family, very similar to sort of first-generation families in America across spectrum uh, of the country and uh, you understand yeah. uh, perspective uh, you know on immigration and what america is and all that stuff yeah. um and that's the, the sort of the tight-knit family part the community part is i grew up in a uh, an italian na- well an italian american neighborhood it's, it's funny when you're sometimes you forget you have to say that part because we i was growing up i didn't think of myself as an american i thought of myself as an italian which is really interesting because everybody around me spoke italian and um, you know, everything yeah. we ate was Italian and it was all of that. <laughs> uh, but with, there was also this sense of um, aspiration mm-hmm. that you were, uh, you should believe in doing something more, but that you are almost required to do something more as part of your responsibility. So uh, to, to do that, I had the sense that you had to break from the traditional boundaries mm-hmm. of life, which could be the very close family unit and the uh, the neighborhood or that community. And you had to go out and explore. Um, and so my early sort of upbringing was about that, that sense of community, but that responsibility to go do something um, sort of special. And frankly, I was also tired of being poor, <laughs> to be perfectly honest about it. And there was a there was a clear economic motivation yeah. around what I was going to do with my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that whole um, aspiration, of, you know, how to manifest the American dream is um, 
not always clear in, in people's minds and certainly wasn't uh, in my mind what that meant. Uh, a lot of times it meant you go to school and you get A's or yep. you, you play on the baseball team, you hit a home run. Yes. Uh, okay, now let's keep going. You, you know, yes. hooray. Yeah. Um, eventually you get to the point where you say, I'd like to buy some cool stuff. Or, yes. you know, yes. I'd like a car. I'd like to eat. Exactly. <laughs> I'd like a nicer house. Exactly. I would like, you know, I'd like to do that. Well, how do you do that? Yep. And that's where um, sort of the, the entrepreneurship thing uh, got got into me. I, I had the very good luck of going to a, a college, got a scholarship to a college. I played college football. Oh, I didn't know that. You didn't know that, football. yeah. yeah. <laughs> American football. Uh, I, I wasn't talented enough to play soccer or, yeah. or your style of football, maybe. Uh, yeah. But I was tough enough to play American football. So um, mm. played football, I got a scholarship. And my football coach in college, it, it, it was a tremendously interesting guy mm-hmm. um, who spent his life as an entrepreneur. Um, a, a lot in the healthcare business, but then went in, into everything. He, he yeah. loved starting businesses and growing businesses. And he sort of recruited me onto a, a team uh, post-graduation. <laughs> um, and eventually, you know, I worked in his nursing home. So I learned from him. He mm-hmm. mentored, there were four or five of us. And then he brought us all together and we started Jiffy Loop. Oh. And in, in starting Jiffy Loop, that was the first deep experience I had yeah. in entrepreneurship. So it sort of thrown into the deep end. Yeah. Um, and, and during the Jiffy Lube experience is when I found Babson, yeah. um, because I really believed that I needed more knowledge to understand how I was going to go through this experience and really create value. And I started taking my MBA at Babson, and at night I'd work in, in the Jiffy Lubes all day long uh, and all week long, and, and uh, at night I would go to school. And um, it was for the first time, that whole thought and action yeah. paradigm, we talk about that a lot at Babson. You know, uh, think deeply, act decisively, create value. Definitely, definitely. That, that became more clear to me as I would go to class and I would learn about entrepreneurship. And then I'd go back into the business and I'd say, well, what am I going to do about that? How do I now promulgate that philosophy and, and help grow this business? Very important to that was this mentality around growth. Hmm. And that, I remember that, I still call him coach. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is a, in, well, I think probably everywhere, but in America certainly is a is a term of endearment, uh, mm-hmm. or it certainly so. becomes a, a term of endearment. Yeah, 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 and, definitely. You know, he he would say, "Listen, if you're going to start a business, you're going to work 24 seven, 365. You're going to you might as well get rich. Too. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to do that, you, know, you can't give any more. You might as well make a lot of money. And, and when there was a direct reflection of the value you create to the piece that you get, there is a synergy of um, sort of economic and social value that, that emerges. You're creating jobs, you're cleaning the environment, you're providing a service, you're taking care of cars. There was uh, this growing sense of mission as a part of, of, of entrepreneurship because it's really hard when you yep. start a company and yep. we, we didn't have, a, the coach had money, uh, the rest of us had to go borrow money to, to buy equity and, and work 3,000 hours a week and do all of that. Um, so, so we really we really wanted to create value. There was a, a real intent. We believed in what we were doing and we were able to grow it and um, eventually cash out. We t- ended up taking it public and uh, I ended up uh, cashing out after about 14 years in Jiffy Lube. And that's when I came, I came back to Babson and said, you know, I'd, 
I'm, I'm looking for my next round of whatever I'm going to do. Uh, and the education was so important. And uh, there's a guy at Babson, there are two guys at Babson that, that were real mentors for me, a guy named Jeff Timmons, who has passed, was a, just a genius. And uh, do you know, do you know the name Jeff Timmons? I think it's, it's, it sounds familiar. It's, it sounds familiar, but I think it's a, it's a remarkable person I hear. Yeah, he, he was a remarkable guy. And he was one of the guys who wrote the first uh, textbook, one of the first textbooks. Yeah, in yeah, exactly, exactly. And exactly. one of his, his third or fourth or fifth edition of that, he invited me to co-author with him. It was a great honor, but it, but it really did. That, that embedded the whole academic side of me. And I went off and got a PhD in London and then came back and I taught at Babson. Yeah. Um, but 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 I was I've always remained at this intersection of thought and action. I, I really think that's where <laughs> most excitement is. You know, the yeah. scholarship is really important. The teaching is so exciting. Starting a business is so rewarding and so yeah. enriching. Yeah. When you put them together, it's a really great and fulfilling life. I mean, the, one, one of my current, you know, my current role is as president of Babson, but it's also as chairman of the board of Planet Fitness. Yes. It's one of the largest fitness companies in the world now. Yes. Uh, yes. And and watching that new concept grow, one of the best business models I've ever seen in my life, um, and, and one of the most fulfilling experiences I've ever had. And it, and it maintains this thought and action yes. linkage, this interwoven set of capabilities and perspectives that drives you to create value. Yes, um, exactly. That's exactly. an exciting, and that's what we teach of Epson. Yes, exactly. I, I mean, just, I mean, you've basically answered most of the questions already. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know i think um for most of the audience who really love i mean when when you got appointed as new president i, I remember this was my last semester of my mba program so this is 2019 if yeah. i'm right and, and when we found out that you were the founder of one of the co-founders of jiffy loop uh it was really exciting because i've seen jiffy loop around i was like wow the the president i mean and in addition to the fact that you went to Boston college as you mentioned already for your uh, uh, as an evening student while you work at jiffy loop uh, i think one thing that people be curious about is how do you skill how did you and your partners skilled uh jiffy loop to become uh a, a national company right like you know become a franchise company i think that's something that people will be curious to learn about and how you guys navigated that. Yeah, there, there's there's both the um, sort of the mental model we've had and then the business model we have. The the mental model was was super interesting because it was really driven by the coach. And, and it was a lesson uh, that I really did learn and, and keep with me, you know, the whole thing about if you're going to work your, your fingers to the bone, you might as well get rich. There, there is a, a sense of growth in that. You have to aspire to do something bigger. Uh, with that. And and so um, it was really funny when we were going to name the company, the, the doing business as Jiffy Loop. So that was the trade name was Jiffy Loop. But then what was the company name? And we said, well, it'll be Jiffy Loop Inc. What, you know, what the heck? Yeah. And the coach said, um, no, I don't, I, I don't think so. It doesn't say enough. I, and, you know, I'm just a young guy. I didn't know what the heck he was talking about. And he said, what, what is our real motivation here? Jiffy Loop make a lot of money. Jiffy Loop be a big, what, what, and he said, well, you're closer with a get big. And then one of us, it wasn't me, it wasn't the coach. Somebody else said, um, how about Jiffy Lube International? Mm-hmm. And we said, oh, we're in. That's the deal. That's what we're going to call it. And, you know, we had like two stores. At, mm-hmm. at this time. But, <laughs> but the mentality was that if we're doing something special, we should be able to grow this. Yeah. And that we would aspire to do more. Mm-hmm. And that, that had a profound effect 
on the way I think about high potential ventures and growth in creating value. Exactly, 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 exactly. And, and, and I think uh, that says a lot. And I think it also echoes to how your personal story was like, you know, how you grew, in, how you grew up and that mindset that you had intersected with, you know, Babson's entrepreneurial thought and action, which has led you to uh, being the president of Babson College. Um, so I think one thing that was truly remarkable that uh, up to today is something that uh, if we, I mean, looking back, let me say 20 years from now, if we look back to how you managed the COVID pandemic in Babson, I would say it was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. You know, I remember when the COVID hit in March of 2020, um, and the way Babson uh, as a community uh, and the emails you sent out and how you just coordinated the professors, how you coordinated the students, it was truly seamless. And it was something that um, I, I can see, you know, you know, 20 years from now, I, I think some people echo how your leadership and your experience and just how you manage the crisis was, was just outstanding. Uh, can you just share a little bit? Uh, because I think that's like the pinnacle of your experience as a, as a, as a, the president of Boston College, but also how your leadership came through and how I can see was the best, one of the best examples of how you led uh, an organization, right? As a, as a very remarkable leader. Can you just share a little bit about how the COVID pandemic was managed from the beginning and how you successfully led Babson to, to this point where I can say we're at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, Jacob, Almost thank you. That, that, was a, that was a very kind uh, statement. Sure. But, but it is, uh, I think it is, um, the COVID and the management of COVID, first of all, was, is probably the most persistently intense management experience of my life. You know, if there's there's one thing that you say, okay, we've got to do this right if we want to make money. Uh, there's another thing when you say we've got to do this right if we want to stay alive. <laughs> there's an additional motivation there that is pretty profound. Uh, and it, it was a, it's been a growing, it, uh, a stre- stressful and growing experience for me, yeah. which is part of what the entrepreneurial process does. It stresses your muscles. It creates that tension. And if you can manage it well, and if you're training right, you build bigger muscles. You don't pull yeah. or, or break muscles. Exactly. So COVID is, is doing that. It, it also is a, a metaphor for the highly, uh, the, the rapid pace of change in society exactly. and the rapid pace of change in all industries. And, and I don't think we're, you know, we won't maybe be at this pace, but we're not going to go back to a slower pace. There will be a continually increased number of variables and the way those variables change and interact and COVID is the introduction to the to the era of rapid change and and ambiguity and so we that is the field in which entrepreneurs most thrive and so what we did in the COVID uh, when, when COVID first came was to get everybody together and talk about what we're going to be the guiding principles for our decision making. What is value creation in a, in a college at Babson College? What do we mean by value creation? And we came to a very quick uh, decision that it was going to be health and safety of the community and academic continuity and excellence. And that every decision we made would be based on these principles of value creation. Exactly. And that, that was such a, uh, an important first step because we could then say, 
okay, what are the variables we're, we're dealing with? Infection rates and the need for PPE, ability to teach online, physical structures, all, communications, all of that became a, a matter of creating an inventory of understanding. What are the variables and, and how do they react? And how can we uh, um, use those variables to fulfill our, our overarching principles, those guiding principles of health and safety of the community and academic continuity and excellence. And, and to this day, that remains the two guiding principles we have. We then said, what are the timelines and what are the what is the management environment that we're in and will likely have to progress to? So it was not only where are we today, but where are we going with this? Even though we're not exactly sure, but we know that time will keep pushing us forward. And we we came, you know, I'm a retailer at heart. If Planet Fitness, Jiffy Lube, I'm a retailer. So I, I like succinct phrases. And, and we talked about survive because we don't know what this infection is going to do. And, and health and safety is the most important thing. We better make sure that we are really con concentrating on survival. But that, if we get that right, we're going to have to then revive this organization. And we'll go from survive to revive, and we'll revive it for the purpose of thriving. So that became this sort of cute mantra, serious, but cute mantra we had that was survive, revive, and thrive. What we have learned in this that, and, and honestly, Jacob, my, my first sense was these were linear progressions. We'll survive, then we'll revive, then we'll thrive. And what I'm finding is that they're integrated progressions that you have to, you have to survive, but then you weave in revival and then you grow to survival and they're all interwoven. So you're always thinking about, am I doing the right thing? Health and safety of the community, academic continuity. What am I learning from that? And how can I bring that into a new business model? Will that new business model create something really special? And what have we learned that can give us a competitive advantage and add excellence to what we're doing? So it's not just academic continuity, but it's excellence and, and maybe superior business model will emerge from this. And you get the excitement about the aspiration, all of this hard work and lost sleep and money that we're investing, all this pain we're going through is going to mean better education. And, and I think that is an accelerated Babson's ability to deliver quality business education by five or 10 years. Yep. I think when we could, we're starting to see a little bit of light with a vaccine, thank you. Um, <laughs> So, you know, we're feeling like we let's build this knowledge into a model that says maybe we can have an impact. I, I like saying this, Jacob. Yep. I want to have a, a, an impact on, on higher education. I, I want to change business education. I want to revolutionize entrepreneurship education. So I, I, and, and COVID has taught us so much about how entrepreneurship was a competitive advantage. I think it now is a required competency. Exactly. The entrepreneurial mind must deal with ambiguity and multiple variables and nonlinear progressions. And you have to make decisions and pivot quickly. And you have to learn from mistakes and grow from them very quickly. And you can't look back. You've got to be looking forward, looking forward and, and racing ahead. You have to come together as a teamwork. You have to see an ecosystem, not just an organization. All of those 
lessons of entrepreneurship have been concentrated in the last year. And I think that gives us a competitive advantage. I'm, I'm excited about the future. I'm about tomorrow. I'm excited about the future. I can tell you have so this infectious uh, uh, entrepreneurial energy that um, just I, I, and the thing is like even through your emails uh, at heart I could feel how how you know how you really wanted to use this as an opportunity to bring the community together to actually draw in people's entrepreneurial uh, uh, DNAs uh, in people's entrepreneurial. Uh, visions and how that could be in part of the Babson history and also part of Babson story. So I could actually see through your your emails and through the forms of communication that you you built throughout the course of this, uh, you know, unprecedented period. So um, it's truly remarkable. It's truly infectious. And I think something that a lot of people admire from you as, you know, the president actually that helped Babson grow Babson, as I said, the three stages integrated to new heights. And I've recommended Babson to a lot of people just apply you know, based on the fact that you are the, at the head and I know that it's a remarkable area to study. Uh, I know you mentioned a lot about Planet Fitness and I know you are on the board of Planet Fitness. Can you just please like to share a little bit about Planet Fitness and what you do there, if you can? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, I, I, you know, it's a public company, so a lot of this is, you know, public information, and I won't tell you anything that isn't public information. <laughs> um, but, but it is a remarkable story. It, it is a story of um, two or three, two brothers and an, another guy, a friend, who um, loved to work out and didn't have a job, so they built a gym so they could work out and have a job. I mean, I mean is it, it really was that simple. It wasn't this big vision of. It was, we want to work out. We need to have a job. So we got to get paid. And they built this gym, but, but they would go to gyms and they, uh, especially the one who is now the CEO, yeah. um, who's just a terrific guy, Chris. Uh, and, and Chris would uh, still looks like he could lift a, a, an automobile. You know, I, I don't know how old he's probably 50 or 48 or something, but it looks like it could lift a car. Um, but they didn't like the typical atmosphere of a gym where, you know, it was what they would call lunkheads would go in and they dropped the weight and they grunt. And they see, you're always going to be a little bit uncomfortable. And it was intuitive to them that if you're uncomfortable in a business, you'll go there less and you'll spend less money and you'll have less enjoyment and there is less value. They said, what if we could create an atmosphere where people really felt comfortable and, and the biggest, strongest guys and the weakest, oldest men could feel very comfortable and respected uh, and respectful of each other in that environment. Wouldn't that be a cool place? Yeah. So I said, let's build a gym that is more about community than it is about muscles. And it is a remarkable cultural phenomenon. Tell me a lot about business models. The great business models that can grow are cultures. They're communities. They're not a series of transactions. They're people engaging. And when you think about an ecosystem or a community, you think about the interrelationships. You don't think of one-offs. And too often in business, we talk about market de demand being the decision of one person on one transaction mm -hmm. instead of a, a community understanding and a cultural belief that can grow and become big and bigger than that, that transaction would indicate. So they did things like, if you go into a planet fitness, there's a bell you can ring. And if somebody's grunting, 
it's the lunkhead bell. You ring the bell and the alarm goes off and it says lunkhead, lunkhead. <laughs> now, almost nobody ever rings that anymore because people have built a community where you don't do that kind of stuff, that you are respectful. And, you know, from the oldest ladies who are very nice, sir, would you like to use this machine now? <laughs> There's this sort of culture of, uh, of, of no judgment. Yes. It's just fantastic. That also... Um, created a business model that was more self-organizing and self-managed. So in, in Babson terms, the labor costs went well, way down. You didn't have to manage those interactions as acutely, and they happened so socially that they were uplifting that the, the, the uh, costs in the, in the uh, model, the labor costs in the model, were far lower than most other people. They, then they found out that it really attracted that 80% of, of the population never goes to a gym. Mm -hmm. 80%. Wow. And they said, well, at the, at one end for the really high end, you know, you're paying 200 bucks a month or 250 mm -hmm. bucks a month. And there's lots of trainers and you have to wear special clothes and look really great when you go in and do all of that. And, and then you have uh, people who, who might go to the YMCA or, and, and the vast majority of people then go, they said, well, why don't we build gyms for them? Why don't we build gyms for the 80%? Oh my God, that's hundreds of millions of people. Exactly. That's a big deal. And they started building that. Now, interestingly, the, the pricing model, again, emerged in very strange way. They open up the first gym and they say, um, you know, you got to pay, pay up front. Do a, and, and they were struggling. Yeah. So they said, okay, we, this won't work. Um, what do we do? Well, maybe we just set, tell the people in our gym that it's one gym. Mm -hmm. Just pay us 10 bucks a month. So they were trying to get enough cash just to keep the doors open. Yep. You come as much as you want. You can cancel as, whenever you want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people said, what? Yes. And they, they thought it through and they said, wait a minute, we have a bunch of fixed costs and not a lot of variable costs. So if we get those fixed costs covered, then... Every dollar over that, there's a huge margin. Yep. So the contribution margin could be huge. Mm -hmm. If we get a base, we just got to, let's keep it super clean and get all the equipment they want to use. Mm -hmm. So they went away for, there's lots of weights in the bigger stores now, but a lot of cardio that they said, we like cardio. We want to walk. We want to use a treadmill. We want to run a lot of cardio, 10 bucks a month. No, uh, no commitment. Let's see what happens. The, the doors blew open. They, they had so many customers, they, they couldn't believe it. So they built a second one. Same thing, a third one, same thing. Now they had to think about how do we grow rapidly? And they started thinking about it. Then we got into the franchise idea. They got into the franchise idea. Then they said, well, this is really getting big. Let's bring in some franchise experts. They had a couple of hundred stores. That's, one of the, that's when I joined the board. And I said, wow, you have a tiger by the tail. <laughs> and they saw it. I mean, they're brilliant guys, and they did an amazing job with the company. We built that. We had private equity money. We went public. We now have been public. And we've topped, uh, we're a little over 2,100 units now, and we've become international. Exactly. The market's huge. Yeah, we're the number one fitness company in the world. That's, that's amazing. That's fun. Let that's me tell fun. You, that's fun. That's it's fun. not fun during COVID. We haven't closed them all. <laughs> That's what I was trying to ask. That was my next question. How did yeah. you manage with COVID? I know COVID is kind of the center of this conversation. But, well, it's, uh, the, it's the center of life in a lot of ways uh, <laughs> as we speak. Well, you know, it was, you know, it's interesting. It's painful. I, mm -hmm. I will tell you. Closing stores is, is painful. 
Um, the, the two things that, that make us, I think, exceptional in the marketplace. One is it's a relatively low cost, is very low cost entry fee for, for uh, customers. So customers stayed with us. A lot of members uh, stayed, even though we weren't billing them during the times we were closed, but they didn't cancel. They said, you know what, when you open, we'll come back. Wow. Wow. So you, you could project into the future uh, a revenue stream. And, and frankly, that's what's happened. Um, which is which is just you know really amazing. The other thing is that um, franchising is a, a really cooperative, a collaborative form. So we've got a lot of franchisees who are superb uh, um, entrepreneurs that really know their stores, they know their customers, they know their employees, they know their communities. They're engaged in those communities. The communities, the customers have faith in them. They care deeply about those businesses and about their employees and their customers. And, and during the really tough times, that that is the proof of the pudding. And people say, well, we, we know these people. We know they're good for their work. We know they'll reopen. They had economic strength. We had a lot of franchisees who had done really well so they could sustain their employees in their stores through this. And that's where scale and, and the franchise system really gave us a competitive advantage. We now have most of those stores reopened and we're, we're beginning to look at our revive. We've got, we've got into revive. We're looking into our thrive period and thinking, boy, the future for, for Planet Fitness is pretty bright. Definitely. definitely. I, th- I think for all, everything you've been involved in, there's a sense of community there, this sense of entrepreneurial thought and action uh, and this sense of just resilience. I think that's something that... Uh, a great word. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great, it's a great word it, because I don't care who you are, you get knocked down, yeah. it, you know, and you have to, you know, no failure is final, but you know, it's a, it's a lesson for the next success. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, you, you, I couldn't think of any person to be in charge of Babson based on what I've heard now than you, because it's, it sounds like you're, you're, you're built for this moment. Well, you, know, you, you don't get to choose your, your time. You know, yeah. the, the, the world imposes certain things on you and you say, do, do I want to play or am I going to withdraw? Am I going to engage this and try to create value or am I going to shrink from it? But, but, but that's the entrepreneurial environment that I think we're going to see for a long, long time. And that's why education has to catch up and tell students that it is dealing with ambiguity that is the real skill of the entrepreneur. It is being able to take multiple variables and, and synthesize them into decision-making. And when it doesn't work, you got to pivot. Exactly. Do you know, now you're, you're not an American, or are you? Are you an American? Yeah, American? I'm an American citizen now, yeah. When did you become a citizen? Uh, 2017, February. We're, we're, we're a very lucky country. Thank <laughs> you. And, and welcome home. The first, first, first year. Of the, oh, yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, God bless you, man. We need more like you. Um, Definitely. But, Definitely. but you know, uh, there's a there's a famous American baseball player named Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth, yes. You know I've Babe Ruth? It. I've heard, okay. yes. Babe Ruth, it was, recently he got his record broken, but he had hit more home runs than anybody by a lot. The year he hit 60 home runs, the record before that might have been 30 home runs. But, I mean, mm-hmm. he just blew away Excellent. all the records. Yeah. And he would say, if you're afraid to strike out, don't come to the plate. Mm. So, you know, he hit a lot of home runs, but he struck out too. And and if you're afraid to strike out, and too many people are afraid to strike out, so they don't come to the plate. 
So let's get up to bat and swing away. Let's do all the hard work and let's understand the game and let's be in shape. And that's what entrepreneurship education helps you understand. What is what does this mean? How do I take all those variables? How do I make those quick pivots? Exactly. And the world has so many opportunities, Jacob, especially post pandemic. I think there is going to be another flourishing of entrepreneurial behavior to build new business models, to deal with new mentalities, to deal with new realities, new thoughts and views. I think that we, we are faced with a golden age. Definitely, definitely. And just to segue into that, and I know you're the president of Babson, you have to go back to run your daily duties. <laughs> with many other things you have. So I just have two two more questions. Uh, okay. So, I mean, this podcast is to enlighten uh, entrepreneurs uh, in emerging markets, right? Yes. And to un- help them understand that uh, in spite of the challenges or, you know, how enormous the problems might be, uh, there is an opportunity to make a difference, right? And uh, one of the things that uh, hopeful is that from the speakers or the guests that comes on the podcast, they give them this, this uh practical tools on how to just navigate some of these challenges, which you have done uh, in remarkable ways. And I'm more than grateful for that. For your experience, just you know, starting companies or even interacting with people from emerging markets or emerging economies, what is your take of the next the next phase of, of yeah. emerging markets? And what do you think people have to be thinking about uh, if they want to start a business, let's say somewhere in Africa or somewhere in Southeast Asia or Latin America? Yeah, I have a I have a dear friend uh, who I did my PhD. We were office mates in London. Who is a Ghanaian entrepreneur, and um, he does a lot of uh, export from uh, from West Africa to around the world. A lot of time in the United States, but Asia, Europe, uh, the whole thing. Uh, and he sees the emerging markets as um, uh, if there is a golden age of entrepreneurship on the way. The emerging markets may be a platinum age for, for emerging markets. And there's a couple of phenomenon that's that's going on there. The, the first uh, one is, is the level of communication and ability to be transnational or, or multinational um, is far greater today. The infrastructure, the language, the technology, um, the, the supply chains, the mentality, the, the, uh, the funding, there is a much more global attitude. And, and if you're thinking big, you can scale small businesses in pretty dramatic ways and in, 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 uh, developing businesses in pretty dramatic ways. The, uh, he would also say, uh, if there weren't any problems in emerging countries, there would be less opportunity. Uh, he said, you know, that his biggest problem is, is having a hierarchy of opportunities and making sure he's taking the best of the opportunities because there are so many problems and so many people who want to be a part of this and now a network of uh, infrastructure and capital that will support that. That that speaks to um, networking as an important phenomenon. You think about it, um, sort of social networking through through digital communication. Digital communication sort of started social networking, and there are these massive economic educational networks are, are catching up. But that provides uh, entrepreneurs with the ability to get to scale much more rapidly. Uh, and to bring lots of solutions uh, into countries and from countries. So he believes that the infrastructure is so now available, especially the capital infrastructure. He, he's able to get lots of funding from lots of different places now where it used to be centralized in Accra or uh, in his country. Now there's you know funding that can come from the World Bank, comes from London, uh, some from the United States, and he, he's finding ways to, to grow companies. And the economic networking is a, a, 
dramatic support of that uh, capital and, and general infrastructure uh, to grow. So, I mean, part of the lesson, there's a couple of lessons here. One is um, there's a lot of problems, go solve a problem. Uh, and the bigger the problem you're solving, the, the more the value you can create. The second one is that collaboration now is uh, an underpinning of almost every business. And people are looking for, uh, for entrepreneurs who understand how to network and how to put different networks and infrastructure together. So understand what your value chain is in your business, where you are in that value chain, and bring those people together with an understanding of how you're creating value for them and how the greater uh, uh, value chain is going to scale to a, a bigger sense of, of value. And then three is to learn the language of communication, financial communication, entrepreneurial knowledge, so that you're talking across that value chain and you're communicating in terms that people understand. And, and maybe fourth, if they understand your values and you have aligned values and you have all of that in place, you're crazy not to do the deal and people will do the deal. So they are seeking that kind of inspired growth and looking at uh, developing uh, countries as real pockets of opportunity. Definitely. I mean, that's, uh, I wish I could have you longer. So much world of knowledge. Yeah, you actually make me feel like I have to stay up all night today just working on my project. <laughs> You're right, good. But, but that's how Babson students think. They're never, yes. they're never satisfied. They got to keep going just a little bit more. I can learn more. A yeah. wonderful attitude. I love you, Jacob. You're definitely more than humble to have you. And just the final, final question. So uh, people, I know this year things are looking a little bit brighter. Uh, but you still have, you know, um, people are still struggling. People are still trying to figure out, you know, uh, how to, um, just how to get by and how to make this year a better year than last year. Any last minute um, words of motivation or inspiration uh, to Babson students? Some of my classmates listen to this podcast. Uh, yeah. And so uh, my uh, friends in Africa, you know, just around the world, what is your... Yeah. Uh, we... Jacob, we are, I really do believe we are on the cusp of, of revival here. And that, uh, you know, in the darkest hour is the greatest the potential for the greatest light. And I really believe if you stay focused on those principles of social and economic value and think about scale and growth and maintain that entrepreneurial mindset, there is more value to be created. There is more money to be made. There is more impact to be had maybe in the next five or 10 years than there was in the last 50 years. Mm. Uh, you are in the catbird seat to have a leadership position in this world and shame on you if you don't get it done. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mr. President. Uh, it's such God a bless you, Jacob. Such, God bless you too. It's, a, it's an honor to have you as an alum. And, and actually, you know, the way I look at it, you're my boss. You're the, <laughs> no. you're the alum, you're the shareholder. I answer to you and I want to do a good job for you. Oh, no, it's, it's such an honor. Thank you so much. I'd love to have you again sometime. You, you, anytime. And if there are other people you'd like to talk to uh, from Planet Fitness or some of the other businesses I'm involved with, let me know and I'd be happy to have them on your podcast. They're wonderful people. Yeah, thank you so much, Mr. President. Have a wonderful time. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.